Hey folks, this is John with From the Head of the Bed. I want to briefly introduce this next podcast. This is part two of our conversation with Dr. Mason McDowell and Kara Mikolov, two CRNAs that we recently chatted with about how to prepare for graduate nursing anesthesia school. And in this show, we continue our conversation with them and talk about success strategies for once you're already in a nursing anesthesia program. If you'd like to hear them introduce themselves, then check out part one of this podcast. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy the show. What's your advice for folks on how to be successful in grad school? I mean, aside from obvious, like studying and whatnot, I think it's I picked, not as obvious as you think. I know. Well, I know, <laughs> unfortunately, but you know, going back to you know the fact that it is going to be a stress on your family. I tried to pick a day a week that was just not school, you know. And the first semester here was was a little easier. Or I don't know. I don't know how other programs run exactly. Sure. But you know, first semester only having class during the week, and I'm in clinical. You know, I would spend the rest of those days doing schoolwork also, and then Saturday or Sunday was consistently no books day. Try and spend time with my family, do things, and try and not talk about school because I'm sure that got old coming home and just talking about school right. every other day. So I think that helps in terms of my relationship. Some maybe keeping it slightly less strained. If I'm already going to get up and go to school that day, then that day is going to be school. And then a day that I'm not getting up and going, I'll be in not school. I've heard some folks say, uh, treat it like a job. Eight Mm -hmm. to five, Monday through Mm -hmm. Friday. You don't have class eight to five, Monday through Friday. But if you just say this is a full-time job, you can get that large volume of studying and reading Mm -hmm. in into those 40 hours. I definitely would encourage that. You know, you had a job before you got to graduate school. You probably worked 40 hours. Some people worked more. I, I always say, Give me at least what you gave your job, and and I'd like more. So as much as I think students should have balance, and now with some experience looking back, I do think successful students have a balance in their life. But, you know, early on, these first semester grad students, I tell them, give me 50 hours. You know, they probably, they may not hit that number, but put everything you can to be successful in the first semester. You don't want to play catch up. And then you'll sort of try, fail, and adjust, or try, succeed, and then maybe back off a little bit and, you know, start mountain biking while you're in school. I think if you can attack your exams and, you know, in this program, we've got three exams, you know, one to start with kind of one midway and then one comprehensive exam that has new content plus the content from the entire semester. And if you can just smash that first exam out of the park, it gives you the breathing room to go into your subsequent exams with some confidence. If you can just attack it early, you've got that extra breathing room and it just sets you up for success. So go big, go hard. And I think especially for your first round of exams, if you remember what it's like to be that in that first semester of anesthesia school, you don't know how they're going to test. You don't know what the exams are like. If you're going to err on the side of going crazy in anesthesia school, go crazy for that first month and a half until you hit your first <laughs> round of exams. And then you can judge how to peel back. But if you're trying to rev up after that, uh, you've got a steep rest of the semester to contend with. Yeah, I agree totally. I think you need to quickly figure out, too, how you study Because I think that for a lot of people coming in, at least for me, and this sounds arrogant, I don't mean it that way, but like nursing school really wasn't very hard Mm -hmm. in college and high school and all that really weren't very hard. And I don't think I had good study skills. Like I didn't really know how I studied. I just kind of read and kind of remembered what things looked like. And I kind of quickly, first semester of anesthesia school, had to figure out how I needed to learn and budget my time because there's no way to read everything unless you're a speed reader and I read slowly and so I had to figure or out how to Or unless like Dr. McDowell, you read it all ahead of time. Right, right. <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> but so, you know, for me, I had to really kind of figure out how I 
actually can learn from studying. I think one of I the don't, I really didn't know how to do that before mm-hmm. yeah, school. Yeah, I agree with that. I think one of the biggest differences with anesthesia school is the volume of material you're expected to just memorize and just to know. Yeah. I think I could get through previous degrees in education through kind of understanding concepts and approaching exams. If I kind of have a vague idea of how this works, I can process of elimination, figure it out. But here, if you don't know the nerve or the value, the number, the equation, you're not going to be successful. And you really have to have that down. You can't come in with general concepts and do well on an exam. You really have to just memorize volumes and volumes of information. So figuring out how to get all of that in your head and retain that for exams and then do it all again for a comprehensive exam, that was kind of a different way of of studying for me as well. Yeah, and that's why I think getting all that basic, like we said before, physiology, pharmacology stuff ahead of time will make it a little easier because if you're trying to learn all this new information, it's going to be a lot easier to build it on already knowing Exactly. Like you said nerves and things. It's going to be a lot harder if you have to learn all those and then the next step. The how to really block to them. And what yeah. Kind of, yeah. Like already understanding how that works is going to help you save time and Absolutely. Absolutely. understand what's going on now. What do you all think about SRNAs who want to work in school? My observation is it doesn't work well. Uh, we have had students who do PRN work on their weekends. Or even if they have an off day in class, and there are times when there's not a class day, and you think, well, I'll just pick up a shift. I think, you know, we've probably reflected already on the time commitment really required to be successful. And, you know, for you to decide to pick up a 12-hour shift in the ICU is time that you could have spent relaxing, sleeping, being with your your friends or family, you know, exercising, whatever it is. So the money might seem at the time like a real necessity. And, and I there is a problem with with student loans and debt when you graduate, I see that. But if you think of the number of shifts possible that you could pick up through anesthesia school, it's not that many. You know, it wouldn't be that many times that you could even try. So that amount of money, you know, a thousand, two thousand, I don't know how much money you could earn in a PRN basis, but um, it's probably not worth it. I would say find a way, you know, loans or prepare, you know, talk about getting ready for anesthesia school. Exactly. Save your money before you start. You know, if you have a working spouse, that's great. Um, But if you're on your own, one of the ways you prepare for school is not just mentally, it's financially. Exactly. It's just, it's in no way is it better to take loans than to save it ahead of time. If you can save it, you know, there's no interest there, right? What do you think about moving into the clinical environments? Here at WCU, we have a whole semester of didactic information. You get a lot of anesthesia information. Other programs start students earlier in the clinical environment. But just in general, you've got folks that have critical care experience, a little bit of anesthesia experience. They're hitting the doors of the OR. What would you encourage those students to think about and prepare for, and maybe some hallmarks kind of throughout their program, how to operate as SRNAs in the operating room? At least for this program, when you start, you know, we start earlier than some programs, but later than other programs and I think you know those first couple weeks in the OR people know you don't know things there but you should definitely know what you should already know mm-hmm. I mean that sounds stupid but if you've learned you know induction drugs and you know these basic things then you should know that stuff and maybe right. you've never done one so some people will walk you through it but you should know the drug if you're going to give that drug know it you know especially if you've already learned it so everybody nobody expects you to to know much clinically but they expect you to know things didactically they know things you should be full of the book knowledge and now you're going to show them how you can put that into clinical practice and so if you show up 
not knowing that didactic stuff, then they're going to have less faith in you clinically. Right. Because that's the you best, have to have something. That's the best advice yeah. right there is if, if you know something and you can inspire a little bit of confidence that, you know, wow, she actually knows how many cc's to put in the syringe, you know, for an induction of, you know, with succinylcholine and propofol or whatever. That, yeah. that goes a long way to letting them, they'll let you do the next steps and the next steps. So right. That was, even though it sounded funny, know what you should already know. Yeah. I mean, if you don't know that, then why should I let you do anything else? Because A, you've had, you know, this semester, semester and a half of school that you learned this, and B, you also do, knew the case you were going to get. I wasn't asking you anything crazy. I was just saying, what drug do you want? You should have thought about that. And if you didn't, then that, you know, it seemed like maybe you're not taking it seriously. Why should I let right. you do anything else? So. And to reflect, we're talking about the early weeks and yeah. months of clinical. Sure. Because there will come a time, talk about being a self-motivated grad student, that you're going to far and away exceed, you know, what you've learned in school, but you still have to apply it in the operating room. You know, you can't say, well, we haven't learned that yet. We haven't studied that disease. You know, that's when it's, you figure that out the night before when things are sort of pre-planned or prepared. So you have to, you have to bypass, well, we didn't get that lecture yet. The expectation eventually will be, well, you, you should have taught it to yourself last night or right. asked me right. early this morning. So no, uh, no excuse for not planning ahead, it right. seems like. You're in school, you're going big, plan ahead, study for clinicals, be prepared, show up, those mm-hmm. kind of things. Great. And just like interviews, I would say dress professionally, be on time, be early, stay late, be nice. Mm-hmm. I think one of the big changes is as critical care nurses kind of had your crew that you worked with, you're familiar with the doctors, you have a degree of casualness in your work setting. When you enter back into the student mode, kind of reeling that in a little bit and realizing that you're the student, they're the preceptor, they're the doctors, you're there by invitation. So to always err on the side of being professional, you know, there may come a time where you feel comfortable to, you know, have a candid conversation with somebody, but in general, and if you hesitate, it's probably better to <laughs> not invite yourself into the joke or the OR conversation or those kind of things. Yeah, but I'm nodding my head emphatically. I right. think that's sound advice. You know, we, we say it kind of jokingly, but really it's, you know, be quiet, be anonymous. When you're brand new, you know, if they ask you a question, you answer it, but you don't, you don't need to initiate a lot of things. And certainly one of the things you don't initiate is, is, you know, a knock, knock joke or whatever it is. You, you kind of stay away from that fray and eventually you'll grow into figuring out the situation and when it's right and acceptable. But if you are a really outgoing personality, uh, which some of us are in anesthesia school, that is, uh, that is a trait that will serve you well when you're a professional. You just have to rein it in a little bit as a grad student and remember to stay a little bit more on the professional side. It's, you can't hurt yourself by being professional. Exactly. Let's say we're into the clinical environment and either you bomb an exam or you have a really hard day in clinical. What's your pep talk for these students? How do you, how do you get them back on board and moving forward? I tend to use a little bit of sarcasm. Remind them that they were a really good ICU nurse and they have something to fall back on. <laughs> I heard that more than once. <laughs> no, of course not. Um, yeah, it, it truly is just remind them that, that it's a process. And when students do, when they truly do something wrong, and you know, wrong is a relative term, but when they do something incorrectly, I say, you know, you're gaining experience right now. And my expectation would be that you wouldn't repeat something that is avoidable. But you make a mistake, it sticks with you, and it changes the way you learn and the way you practice one day in the future. So take it for what it is. You know, if it was something that 
you know, was really egregious, then we'll have a, a much more direct and, and stern conversation about how our expectations weren't met and we're going to change your path, your direction and behavior or whatever it was. But that generally isn't the issue. Usually it's a, it's a little mistake or a fault that they gain really good experience from. And, you know, if we have a seminar class, they can share that situation with their classmates and then everybody learns from a mistake and, you know, mistake or learning opportunity. You can sort of interchange those words most of the time. I think it's hard, you know, stuff like that, because I think most anesthesia students are intelligent. They probably always did well before, and it's kind of hard to actually really be challenged. Mm -hmm. And so you do take it really personally. And so for me, at least, I tried every day, like whether it was school or clinical, you know, every day is like, all right, there's going to be one thing that I feel like I did really well and at least one thing that I need to work on. And so I tried to balance myself that way. So I'd come home from clinical and maybe everything didn't go the way I wanted, but I always made sure I found like one thing that I did a really good job at and it didn't matter how big or small it was. It could be somebody like I made myself work with somebody that I knew was going to be really challenging and stressful, but I got through the day Great. and they didn't yell at me. So mm -hmm. then that was, that was my good thing I Achievement. did. Or, you know, I got a pat on the shoulder from somebody that terrified me, you know, that was a good day or, right. but truly, you know, and that was my good thing. And then the thing that I was going to work on was something else. Cause I always messed up, you know, you're going to mess stuff up, mm -hmm. but you can't only focus on that. Cause that's going to beat you down. You know, you did badly on a test, but you also did well on other things. So what are you going to learn from the thing right. that you didn't do? What you did badly on the test, why? Like, how, how are you, what are you going to learn from that? Like, did you really not know the material? Well, you better know it for the next test. Right. Or was there something else going on in your life that you need to... Mm -hmm figure out so that that doesn't keep happening. Exactly. You know, just learning. And generally speaking, the, the silly things that you do, the mistakes you might make in the operating room, it's a small community. You know, your best approach might be just to mention it to whoever your clinical education coordinator is or, you know, your faculty assistant. Like in, in my role, I, I manage most of the clinical things. So rather the student tells me first or I get a text message from a CRNA or an email or a phone call, there's a good chance I'm going to find out about it. Whatever the thing was, you might as well approach me first and say, look, this happened in clinical. This is what I think I could have done differently or how would you have handled it or whatever it is. Sometimes it's just a, you know, a confessional opportunity. And that, that's, I mean, that I think it could be cathartic for the student to just get it off their sure. chest. And then once they're done, you know, telling me everything that happened, I usually say something like, yeah, I know. I already heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're saying, so you're saying from a professor or director role that for your personal style or the style of this university, that you invite that kind of open and candid conversation about. Yeah. I'm non-punitive, I'm sure. Absolutely. But inviting that kind of feedback from students. I, I think it helps them hear, hear somebody that's got experience or even from just the faculty side that says, you know, it's okay. Remind you, it's okay right. to make mistakes. You know, if you, if you make a lot of mistakes and you never ever, ever improve, you know, that, that, that there will be consequences to that. But I think most faculty have an open door and even take it away from the university. You have maybe a CRNA you trust or a clinical coordinator at the hospital that you trust. Go to them. That's okay too, but try to close the loop on, you know, areas that could have been improved. And some of that comes from conversation with people. I did this. What could I have done better? Exactly. I think it's humbling to recognize that you're the novice again. You know, you're used mm -hmm. to being preceptor in the critical care environment. Uh, 
you were on all the committees and you know shared decision making and you had your CCRN and you excelled and you're going to anesthesia school and you got in and everything is going well for you and you hit anesthesia school and you are at the novice level again and you've got to work through all of those stages of growth to you know beginner and competency and you know progressing on to you know the phenomenal expert clinicians that we all hope to be someday so it can be it's a it's a long road but I think that's great advice that both of you gave to take mistakes in stride investigate what's going on try not to make them habitual figure out plans whether it's studying or communicating or preparing more um, have mentors those kind of things that you can talk to and get support with and and keep on going I think one of the challenging things in anesthesia school is sometimes especially in the clinical environment is that you say something completely stupid or you reach for the wrong drug or you tube the goose your first couple of times trying to intubate <laughs> and you've got to you've got to pick up and go do the next case you've got to go you know inspire confidence in that next patient who's not yet anesthetized you know and that can be hard for students to figure out as well as I'm sure it is clinically if you have a tough case clinically so CRNA you've got to turn around mm-hmm. and continue on with your day what do you all that think is about kind that? of um, the idea of professional socialization and that takes a lot of different paths but one of them is exactly that you have a bad case maybe there's even a, a really bad outcome Staffing generally is not sufficient so that you just say, well, I'm going to sit out the next inning, coach. Right. The next patient needs you to, to give 100%. So take whatever time is necessary to clear your head, you know, if it's a simple mistake or an actual intraoperative death, which doesn't happen very often, clearly. But you need to give that next patient, you know, the attention and care that you would want for your, your own family. Great. Assuming you like your family. Indeed. Great. And I think, too, precepting students, you know, preceptors are looking for how you handle yourself after that like if you pick up the wrong drug or they have to correct you or you do some you you know like you said intubate wrong or something they want to see how you move on from that because that also shows things about you like did you let that throw off the rest of your day right or did you say well here's what i thought and can i talk to you about it let's figure out what i did wrong so that on the next one exactly. don't do that again and that mm-hmm. shows you know, you know you have to be humble and say help teach me absolutely but that's also important because you don't want to let that ruin the rest of your day what, do you, what would you say to someone who's just really struggling with a particular skill set in clinical? If it's a simple skill, well, I mean, it's not simple when you're a novice at anything, but, um, you know, laryngoscopy and intubation, maybe if you have a, a, a clinical skills lab or a simulation center, maybe you can spend extra time just with repetition, not just by yourself, but with somebody with some expertise that can show you some tips. And there's, there's always another tip or another trick. You think you've got things figured out. There may be one more way to do it. So whether it's you just being honest with your, and this, this is a good path in clinical, is to tell your CRNA the next morning, like, talk about expectations for the day. I've been I've been struggling with just good mask ventilation. Can you observe me and tell me what you would do different or better? And at the end of every case or at the end of every procedure, whatever the procedure is, try to get some reflection and some, some feedback on how things went. I think that probably goes a long way. Repetition and somebody truly looking for ways to help you in the school, when we hear a student, first-year student, and it's maybe the end of the first or second semester, and they're still having some trouble with airway, you know, we're, we're going to do what we can to bring you in and lay out a, sort of the roadmap to success. We're going to spend time with you in the clinical, uh, in the simulation center, and we're going to match you up with CRNAs at the hospital that have, you know, a vested interest in making sure you succeed. So we're going to give you every chance to do well by tailoring your learning opportunities. 
That's great. Karen, any yeah. thoughts on that? Most, I mean, mostly that. And then just make sure for me when I was struggling with something, I'd always go back and read it and make sure I really understood it right. right. And that my issue was putting it into practice. Not that I didn't know it because you don't want to be trying to put into practice misinformation. Exactly. So make sure you know. And for me, I'm very visual. So if I was having airway issues, I'd go back and look at pictures and be like, what if I was having trouble intubating, like, what am I really supposed to be looking for and seeing? And, you know, maybe that's what I'm messing up. Like I'm not right. looking for the right structures or, you know, but that may not work for everyone. But I think, you know, making sure that you have the didactic there and so that when you're trying to talk to a preceptor and say, I need help with this, you can give them the information that you have and say, now help me put that into practice. So that you're not just blankly, well, I don't know, I'm not doing it right, but I don't know what to change. You know, at Mm. least you have some basis for it. Yeah. I think for myself, some of those basic kinesthetic skill sets became checklists and flow sheets and stuff early on in clinical. So I had uh, a little note on my, on my phone that I would keep that would say, you know, this is your room setup. This is your machine check. This is your induction sequence. So everything from you walk, through the door with the patient through we're off to sleep, just step by step, what are the things that you're going to do? Because lessening the stress of everything else that's going on, say, if you're struggling with intubation, if you feel comfortable with everything else, you know, then when you get to that point, you're more calm, you're more focused, mm-hmm. you're more able to take time and breathe. So, and like you say, Kara, making sure that you've got the right information down is very helpful. I can't tell you how many times early on I would pick up that laryngoscope with my right hand and just look at it and go... There's something not right. And then I would flip it to my left mm-hmm. hand before anyone noticed that I was pausing to just see. No, I, I got the text message. I knew. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I never came to you, Dr. Madad. I'll let mm-hmm. you know that. So that's great. The, the, the cue card thing, by the way, is, is great advice for everything. Mm-hmm. Early on, there's just so much that's flowing through your head and you're nervous anyway. But if you can give yourself, um, you know, a room setup checklist. You know, it's a small note card. If there's an induction sequence, what drugs, in what order, at what right. doses, just put it on the bed next to the patient's pillow. They don't see it, and you've got it there. And uh, whatever it takes in the early days and weeks, and then maybe flip the card over, and it's what to do after you get the tube in, because you're giving people high fives and you're excited. You finally got it in the right hole. And Forget meanwhile, you don't turn the ventilator on. Right. You don't turn on the gas. So there are right. a few other steps you don't want to miss if it's on a card. You know, one more chance to be successful. And go easy on yourself. You will forget to turn the ventilator on. Absolutely. And you will forget to turn the gas on. And for patients listening to this, somebody will remember, just <laughs> not they, the student. They are one-on-one monitored by yeah. real CRNAs. So. Okay. <laughs> Glad we had that cleared up. So a couple more questions on success strategies for graduate school before we wrap up here. I know that the graduate project and or thesis is a huge part of graduate school. Briefly, what did you each focus on for your study? Um, during your master's program, and uh, what advice would you have for SRNAs in approaching their project or thesis? Well, I think, first of all, pick... Care, what, what did you study so, uh, so that we know? So <laughs> we did a, like a literature review comparing IV acetaminophen and IV catorlac for pain control in pediatric surgical patients. Published in the February issue of the AANA <laughs> Journal sure of 2014, was, yes, mind yes. you. Okay, great. Um, but I think, you know, pick a topic that you have some legitimate interest in because you're going to spend a lot of time reading about it and working on it. Pick If you're going to work with somebody, pick somebody that you think you can really truly work well with and pick a way of doing the topic that you're pretty good at. Kate and I were both English majors in the past and both strong writers. And so for us to choose to write something was not 
overwhelming for me for some reason like a poster presentation sounded way more stressful and awful I'd rather write something and you know that is less stressful and that's something that comes more naturally and it was a topic that we both had maybe not by the end as much interest in I was kind of tired of reading sure. about it but you know it was genuinely interesting to me yeah. you know don't pick a, like a drug or a you know a pharmacology topic or a physiology topic if you're not really interested in it great and a good article, uh, if I can say that. If you if you want to know about acetaminophen <laughs> or Toradol, check out their article again in the February of 2014 issue of uh, the AANA Journal. So, nice job. And it was a great paper from my end to read, too. It didn't require much editing. I mean, there was some, clearly, but um, two English majors can't do better than that. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I mean... That's a rarity. They and I didn't edit anything, yeah. which was kind yeah. of mind-blowing. Complimentary. Yeah. Yes. Very nice. Dr. Medow, what did you study and what advice would you give? I had an aha moment in one of my lectures early on. Um, you know, one of the things we confront in anesthesia is pain. So I, I looked at uh, preemptive analgesia with NMDA receptor antagonists. So I focused mostly on ketamine and how they block ascending pain pathways. Great. Um, so, But it was a literature review. And for better or for worse, I was my my research chair uh, was the current editor of the AANA Journal. So I assume that it was published? A research director. Actually, no, he wasn't wasn't looking for publication. In fact, I think he probably threw it in the trash after I walked out. (laughs) Um, I learned a lot, and I'm sure he did too, (laughs) but not in the way I would have, you know, hoped hoped for. So I I wouldn't say it was a a work of art, but I definitely learned a lot, and I learned a lot about the writing process. And uh, the person I referenced was was Chuck Biddle, supremely intelligent guy, great writer, and and very um, interesting style to his writing, which I've tried to, to do duplicate myself. What was the second part of the question? What advice would you give for folks when they approach their graduate project yeah. or thesis? Yeah, same thing. Kara mentioned it, I think, is is it's hard to know, but you're going to spend a lot of time invested in this topic. And if you, if you barely like it when you start, you will hate it when you're done. If you think you like it a lot when you start, you might still like it when you're done. I mean, that's kind of the love-hate relationship with research anyways. Um, but you might also even find a springboard where you like it enough and you keep digging and you don't get all the answers. But maybe that's a, a path you would jump into if you ever pursue doctoral work is you've started something and then you continue it on at a, right. at a better level. But it's, yeah, try to like it when Great. you start. Very good. And if you have no ideas at all, go talk to you know one of your faculty or try to figure out a, a problem that's occurring in the clinical environment. And, and maybe that's how you decide to, to study something. Somebody says, you should look at whatever subject. And you're like, yeah, I think I will. Do you think that students need to have this figured out the first semester of Manistee to school? I think some programs are going to try to fast track it that way just for various reasons. Maybe this the, the time of year they start. It helps them meet the deadlines for different poster presentations and na- national meetings, et cetera. But I think it's unlikely that uh, that you will be able to invest any time in thinking about what you're going to do with your research work in the first semester. You're so busy. Yeah. I would I would delay that decision if you could. Great. So don't stress about it right now if no. you're listening to this very early on in your program, but we wanted to kind of hit on that just to give you an idea. And I think, too, as you go through the program and get a better understanding of giving anesthesia, you get a better un- idea of what would actually be an appropriate or useful Great. topic, you know, because some of my ideas first semester may have been interesting to read a little bit about, but I don't know that I could have turned them into a whole project. But as right. I start to really figure out, you know, giving anesthesia and things I do and don't like to give and patients I like taking care of and, you know, some of my major things that I think about or I'm concerned about with my patients to help me figure out a topic 
So I think, you know, if you try and figure it out too early on, you don't really have a good right. idea of where you should be picking a topic from. Yeah. Well, great. Good advice. Good advice. So lastly, what do you think is the best plan for studying for boards? Same as studying for school. Study the way that works for you. Don't try a new way of studying for boards, I don't think, is a good idea. Some people take review courses and some people do online programs. And, you know, there's tons of different options, I think. I like to read books. I like paper. I like books. I like writing in them and writing notes and circling and highlighting. And so I did books so that I could read them. Other people did you know, things on the computer that wouldn't work for me because I don't like looking at a computer screen right. and I can't touch it and write it down. And I don't remember where I saw something as well. Like I'll remember, Oh yeah. Like when I'm doing this section, I remember it was on that page in the middle and that's what I need to go back to. And so that works for me. So I think just yeah, that's great study advice. how it will work for you and then you'll be more likely to be successful. I don't think one specific program or technique is better. And how are boards? Boards were not as bad as I thought, but I was so amped up and stressed. I cried I through the whole yeah. thing, but I passed, so it's okay. In the you cried while taking oh, boards? Oh, I cried through the whole thing. While you're, mm-hmm. while you're actually like on the exam, taking okay. boards. But that's that's how I I cried through the GREs. That's why the keyboards are covered in plastic. Yeah. So it short out. <laughs> I cried through the GREs. I cried through the nursing boards because I just get myself very, like everything is riding on this. And that's, you know, it's a big moment. It's it. She's it actually is. crying right now during the interview. <laughs> she is not. It's a big day. I thought about crying last night. So I was like, I don't want to talk. On, You're doing on great. Microphone. But, but no, I mean, I did cry through the whole thing, but I knew I was going to do that because that's mm-hmm. how I do things. Yeah. Um, so again, if that works for you, there's no problem with it. You can get up and take breaks during boards if you need to. I think I had to get up four times. It counts against your time, but you're allowed to do it. The little lady at the desk gave me a hug at the end, which I appreciated. She made me feel much better. You were so filled with tears. <laughs> yeah. And, that's but great. again, if it works for you, that was my, that's my technique for getting through things. Excellent. And it works. So Excellent. There you go. Nice job. Yeah. Not, not a lot to add. I guess I would say bring Kleenex. If, yeah. If, right. If right. that is your, your, so you're needed. Um, Great advice. I think it's repetition, though, like anything. You think about the accumulation of information you gain in that first semester, and then over the next two or three years, however long your program is, you gradually, I don't know how to word this differently, you, you get more and more stupid academically because you spend so much time in the clinical world. Maybe you're not going back and remembering a lot of the basic fundamental science. Boards test you on basic fundamental science and application. So if you don't have the fundamentals, you won't have it. My, I would say while you're in school, and this is wildly unpopular, but not only should you be semester studying the semester you're in, take every once in a while to go back and look at last semester and keep those concepts fresh. And then finally, when it's truly launch time, and, and all the advice I just gave, by the way, nobody does, um, but I would encourage it nonetheless. But when you're in your last semester and your you know boards are suddenly three or four months away, you know you have to commit time every single day. If you're tired, it doesn't matter. You need to get up early and study, and then go to clinical, and then come home and study, and do it again and again. And that's where you know the family neglect and all that stuff kind of comes again. You're stressed, and they're stressed. Everybody wants it to be over, but you know you have to run and until you get past the finish line, it's not enough to just kind of limp, limp past. You you don't want to feel like you could have done more to prepare for boards. Right. And on the day of boards, don't bring your notes with you. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't study on you. It's done. You know as much as you need to know on the day of boards. So clear your head. Maybe even the night before, get a good night's sleep and and um, and know that you've already put in the work. I mean, it is done. You're going to go in there and. You look at the stats. People are successful on boards. You are going to do well if you commit the time. 
Great. Yeah. You're never going to know everything. So. What? Except for Dr. McDowell. <laughs> but, you know, there's going to be questions on the boards that you don't know. You're going to be like, I've never seen that drug before, or I have no idea what that's talking about. And that's just how it's going to be. But it's not going to be every question. You know, right. I think my first question popped up and I said, about a drug that I knew, but that we never, never used. Mm-hmm. So it's a guess. And then, then that question is done and don't dwell on it. You can't go back to it. You can't change it. Just like move on to the next one. And Great. so I think to having good test taking skills, like understand how to test on the computer and how you budget your time and all of that. And yeah, definitely don't study right before or the night before, because if you don't know it, you're not going to learn it in the parking lot. Yeah. That's five minutes time. before you go to brunch, right. you're just going to get yourself confused right. and overwhelmed. And yeah. Great. Well, nice job. So if you could summarize your advice for grad students that are uh, either in a program or getting ready to start a program, what are some of the hallmarks that you would offer? Be really good at pharmacology and physiology. Like, that's it from beginning <laughs> this to is end. Anesthesia. I mean, it is. It is. Like if you don't know that, you're not going to know the drugs. If you don't know that, you're going to look stupid in your interview trying to get into school talking about things you don't understand. And I think you can use that stuff to figure out a lot of test questions and board questions. Like if, if you understand how receptors work, you can kind of tease out if you don't maybe know the exact answer. You can figure out what they're asking you based on the receptor they named or they say this is what you're trying to do and you know how your body does that. You can tease out answers. And Great. I, think, I don't know. Just, that's it. Just know that stuff. Yeah. Just physiology and pharmacology. Yeah. That's but, all you need to know everything. It's, everything. Yeah, just know everything. But, yeah. And if you don't have a good basis in that, start now. Great. Super. Wonderful. Yeah. Start start now. She's right. I mean, the, the day you get into the ICU, you probably did it. Maybe you were thinking anesthesia school already, but maybe not. But once you set your sights on anesthesia school, you know, ask yourself why often. You know, why do we do this? Why is there another way to do this? Talk with your friends if they work in other hospitals and see how they do it. Um, it sounds kind of lame to constantly have to be reading. You know, you graduated nursing school and you're in the ICU working, right? And suddenly you're a student again, but you kind of want to do that. And then take CCRN. It really does prepare you to think about standardized exams and pharmacology and physi- physiology. Yeah, and then, and then communicate with the program you want to get into. Let them know that you really like their program. What will it take for you to get an interview there? And they'll probably tell you. Excellent. And I think if you if you haven't gotten in, uh, we've I've seen that in friends. I've seen that uh, in people who have applied here. Uh, stick at it. Same thing with the anesthesia school. If you have a setback in clinical or a test, stick at it. It is possible. Um, there's been folks in our program that have had babies in the past, whose spouses have had babies in the past, who have gotten divorced, who are getting married. You know, all of, you know, life continues uh, in and around anesthesia school, and it is possible to get through and be successful. Mm-hmm. So work hard and stay at it. Definitely. Great. Well, nice job, y'all. Thank you so much for coming today to talk about how to be successful in graduate school. So sure. we hope that that's helpful for everybody out there. I hope so.